Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, the Patreon specials. So appreciate you being here and uh, supporting the pod and everything you do. And if you're on Acast Plus as well, appreciate you helping us out here as well. So um, today's topic special is uh, a really important one because... This is probably the area of fantasy football most players, and I'd argue myself definitely included here, have got wrong over the last few years, and that's the running back position. I wouldn't necessarily say over the last few years, but I think there's a, a significant trend that is happening. So I'm here to kind of blast away some myths. I'm here to talk a little bit of sense, a bit of a review, and then look a little bit about the state of the running back situation as it is today and thinking about how we should consider playing it moving forward because what how people have been playing it myself included if you've read my earlier books especially the ones in in 2019 push for a heavy rb approach and that actually probably shouldn't be the case now as things have evolved and i'm going to go through and explain why so we're going to start off by talking a little bit around the running back situation as you think about it when you draft it. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about running back injuries because I think this is the really crucial point to understand um, from a strategy standpoint, but then also thinking about it from just a practical standpoint as well. So let's start with a quote unquote, a plan. So when you're drafting running backs, you always have to assume that a running back is going to miss between one and three games in a season. It's the most uh, likely position to get injured in the NFL. 
And so therefore, you're always baking in a cost of a running back missing one or three games, which is why handcuffs have always been considered so important because of the per game value you get from the position. And that's why you have these quote unquote premium handcuffs over the years like Alexander Mattison, uh, etc., uh, Tony Pollard, etc. And so, you know, we it's because we know running backs will miss time. So when you're planning to take a running back at the 101, 102 or the 202 or wherever you're planning to take a running back, you have to naturally bake in the fact that they are going to miss one to three games on average. I'm going to bring some stats up to sort of um, back that up. Um, but here are some things that you should know. So first of all, the reason why we have to think about that one to three games per season is that concussions uh, and ankle sprains are the two most common injuries in running backs. And we've seen this through the last 17, 18, 19 years in the NFL where there has been available data. I can't tell you about this year. That data hasn't been published. I can only use historical medical data that has been published where it's safe past a certain statue of limitations. So the data slide the older but it still tells us that these are still the most relevant if you think back to the injuries that you've seen this year they are certainly the most likely and the most common so that's why those concussions those ankle sprains and any other injury means a running back is going to miss one to three games a misnomer around injuries is that running backs who carry that will touch the ball 300 times are more likely to get injured because there's a mathematical probability that's significantly higher. It's actually not true. So a running back who carries the ball or, or touches the ball 300 times isn't actually less likely to get injured or miss time than one who plays less. There isn't a clear reason for this, um, but all the data suggests that that is a myth and it's not true, um, that therefore there is no increased likelihood of the amount we play, and therefore the amount of likely you get injured. Um, the argument, the counter-argument I would have is those players are on the field more, they're sharper more, they're in a bit of a better rhythm. They're not stop-starting, they're not missing time, therefore they're probably at the absolute peak of their awareness of players coming in to tackle them, uh, how to go down, etc. And that could be a reason. I don't know for sure, there isn't a real reason, but this misnomer of players who carry the ball more, more likely to get injured, uh, is not true. So that's something that you should... Um, walk away from another thing when we're making our plans so when we're thinking about drafting a running back we know that when they get past the age of 27 they're very rarely a top five running back so we know that when we're thinking about taking a player um high up the board if they are over the age of 27 we do need to take that into consideration uh one player that is the common exception to this is uh, the man machine that is Derek Henry, but he is very much the exception and not the rule. So let's just try and be careful of not drafting running backs at age 27 or over in a high value position. Um, so it's just something to really think about and, and consider. So when we're thinking of running backs and let's go through that injury I talked about in terms of 300 plus carries or touches versus um, significantly less. So there was a study that was done between 2004 and 2014 and I get it's a slightly different game, but we can only work on the data that's available. And Edwin Porras, who's a very, very good um, 
sort of fancy football medical experience doctor, I think he was over at Fancy Points, uh, wrote about this. Um, it turns out that, that players who carry the ball 300 times, 51% of those players um, didn't miss a game in their season. And you compare that to the group that only uh, carried the ball 150 to 250 times, uh, that number was 34% who didn't miss time. Now, it's a much larger group, that 150 to 250. That's 212 players uh, in this sample group, whereas the 300-plus carries is 63. So there is some statistical variance here in terms of the probability and likelihood. But however, it's telling you that these players who miss zero games carrying the ball more, is again, could point back to some of the reasons that I mentioned. Missing one plus game, 66% of that 150 to 250 carried group, um, 66% of that group missed at least one game, 49% missed uh, one game in the 300 plus carry group, one or more games. So again, we're expecting running backs to miss time. Running backs who aren't carrying the ball as much could arguably from that data, and I'm not going to make a huge leap, but could be conceivably more likely to miss time. They're the things that you kind of need to be aware of as part of your plan. You're never going to predict when an injury is likely to happen. You're never going to be able to look at and try and expect these trends. Other than what I would say is if a player is on a very high touch count, at some point there is this red zone and the team might start to control that volume. I mentioned this not this past season, but the season before with Najee Harris, because he was on for a record amount of touches in the NFL. He didn't get there because they started to ease him off. And again, you got to remember they were going for the playoffs and made the playoffs that season. So again, it's another thing uh, that kind of all trended to him getting a little bit of rest uh, through there. So the reason I want to start with that is, is just as you're making your plan, we're assuming that injuries are part of the game. Now, the natural conclusion over the last two to three years is that the running back position has had a horrific amount of injuries has had a horrific amount of time missed by players in that position which has allowed players who perhaps weren't on the radar weren't quite as expected to come up and and usurp and make a significant amount of fantasy points and we've got examples over the last five seasons that we could cite with that being the case. But I also want to dispel this myth that actually injuries played a significant part in the decline of running back performance because I actually don't believe that to be true. Yes, there were injuries. Yes, if you selected a handful of players, you definitely felt the pinch on that. Having said that, the vast majority of players did not miss enough of a significant amount of time to warrant this assumption that injuries have derailed running back performance. So let's get into it, okay? So let's look at 2021. So 2021, there were 13 players that were drafted in the top 24 picks. So the first two rounds. I think anything you get after that is what it is, right? 
But we're looking at you've taken those players because you expect them to be the elite. You expect them to be the best of the best. Um, so going back to 2021, first player off the board, the uh, 101, as you will, was Christian McCaffrey. He did sustain a significant injury. He played seven games. He missed 10 games. That is bad luck. There's no arguing about it. That is bad luck. That's a significant injury. He has missed time. He put in elite performance before that. And as a result, missed time, didn't finish anywhere near where his ADP was. Okay. The 102 was Dalvin Cook that year. He played 13 games. He missed four. With Dalvin Cook, and I always said this, and I said this at the time, I can't draft Dalvin Cook that high because I know he's going to miss more games than the average. He played 13 games that season. He missed four. So if you're planning on a running back to miss three games, he's missed slightly more than what was expected. So four games. Again, that has an impact, but that should have been in your plan. I'm not saying that is enough to warrant blaming an injury for his derailment of a season. Alvin Kamara was the 103. Similar. Played 13 games, missed four games. So again, we, we should be baking into our plan. They missed one of three games. He missed four. Yes, it's had an impact. Can it be solely blamed for the reason why teams didn't make a playoff? No, because you should have planned for him to miss those one to three games. Derek Henry played eight games. He missed nine games. Absolutely. He when he went down, he was the one he was the like the RB1 in fantasy football. He still finished that season, by the way, at as the RB22, and he missed over half the season. He was on an electric year. Absolutely, his injury can be blamed for why a team would not have made the playoffs. That is completely understandable. Outside of that, there is no other significant injury. Zeke Elliott, 105, missed no games. Chubb, uh, 106, he missed three games. Barkley, uh, 107, missed three games. Taylor, um, as the 108 missed no games, he finished as the RB1 that season by a, a clear margin. Uh, Jones, as the 111, missed two games. Eckler, as the uh, 201, missed one game. Harris, who had a really good season that season, uh, was 16th off the board. He missed no games. Mixon, again, good season. 20th overall, missed one game. Gibson, missed one game. So those players, we're not looking at injuries there and saying that they were the cause uh, of their bad seasons. Jonathan Taylor finished as the, one, as the running back one. Eckler was the running back two. Harris was the running back three. Mixon was the running back four. Zeke Elliott was the running back seven. This is in PPR, by the way. Uh, Alvin Kamara, running back eight, despite the fact he actually missed four games. So again, he still returns you RB8. Gibson as the RB10. Jones as the RB11. So, um, players that let you down, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, um, even with the games missed, you know, they significantly hurt you, uh, Elliot McCaffrey. So, those players did hurt you. But having said that, when we look at the elite performance, only three players scored above 300 points in PPR and only four points. Only four players scored above 285 points. So, listen, Taylor, clear 101. Massive tear down 
So that was 373 points. Eckler, 343 points. Najee Harris, 300.7 points. Joe Mixon, 287.9 points. Then you get a massive drop of 30 points to this next tier of James Conner, uh, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott. And actually, the difference between the RB5, which was uh, James Conner, and the RB12, which was Josh Jacobs, was just 31 points. Considering the gap from RB1 to RB2 was 30 points. And what that's telling you isn't that injuries are the reason for this. It's actually that elite running back performance has declined. There aren't that many guys that are separators at the position. This is looking at 2021 data. Now, let's fast forward to this season. So let's look at this season's data. Um, and I'm going to publish these tables uh, on the Patreon so you can you can see them, right? RB in this season. So Taylor was taken at the 101. He played 12 games. He missed five games. Okay, that's a slight blow. It's more than we planned for. But it shouldn't have derailed your season enough. But we know that's not true. McCaffrey played every game. Henry... Missed one game. Eckler, no games. He missed. So these three, those four players were the 101, the 104 off boards this season. So with the exception of Taylor, where you can argue his injury made a bit of a dent, the uh, RB2, RB3, RB4, insignificant amount of time missed. Henry missed one game. The other two didn't miss any. Dalvin Cook didn't miss a game uh, this season. He was the 107 in drafts this year. Um, Najee Harris was the 108. He didn't miss any time. He did have a foot injury. It definitely affected his performance, but not enough to where he wasn't playing every game. Joe Mixon was the 110. He missed two games this season. Uh, DeAndre Swift was the 203. Um, no, 202. And he missed three games. So again, we're looking at Swift. We're thinking, yeah, three games. But also, that's what we're baking in. Don't forget, until this point, Swift hadn't managed 14 games in the season. So actually, if you were drafting him that high, you must have been pretty pleased he played 14 games because I couldn't draft him because he never played that many games. Alvin Kamara played 15 games. He missed two. He was uh, the 203. Uh, Nick Chubb, the 204. He missed no games. Aaron Jones. Middle of round two, missed no games. Saquon Barkley, who was a good value in the end for where he was being picked at the 208, I believe, um, missed one game. And then lastly at the 212 was Javante Williams. He did go down. He played four games. Obviously, that, that injury did have a significant impact. So really, last season, of the top 13 running backs, the top 13 running backs that were drafted, the 13 players that we expected to be the fantasy football se uh, uh, separators at the position, only two of them missed what we would call a significant amount of time that we wouldn't have planned for. One was Jonathan Taylor, the other was Javonta Williams. Javonta Williams, don't get me wrong, you missed him, you drafted him, you suffered. Jonathan Taylor, yes, but for other reasons. Everybody else in there either did not meet their performance, exceeded their performance, but we cannot blame injuries for why these happened, for what happened here. Because when we look at the top 
12, Austin Eckler. He finished as the 101. Christian McCaffrey is the 102. Josh Jacobs, 103. Derek Henry is the 104. Four players over 100 points uh, this season. Again, Austin Eckler, 372. So similar to where Taylor was in his RB1 season. Not as big of a drop to McCaffrey at 356. Then Jacobs at 328. And then uh, Henry at 302.8. Then you've got a little drop to two more players. They are Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb, 284, 281.4. Six players over 280. Slight improvement on 2021 numbers in which it was only four players that were in that range. So you've seen a little bit more from that mid-tier, but then it falls off a cliff. So RB7 was Ramadre Stevenson at 249 points. RB12 was Leonard Fournette at 227.1 points. So they were separated by 22 points. And then even then, 13 was Jamal Williams, 225.9, 14, Najee Harris, 223.5. And then you got Miles Sanders, 15, 216, Kamara, 211. And so what's happened here is the decline of elite performance. What you've got is a very few amount of separators at the top of the board, and then you've got a much of a muchness. And so what this is doing is we overinflate running back value. Running backs are being taken well above where they should be taken in drafts. Now, there are some separators. If you draft a separator, there is a significant difference. However, once we're getting past the RB4, RB6, and this number is pretty consistent over three or four years now, you're starting to see a drop-off that puts them in a group of six to ten running backs where the performance is roughly the same. And then you have this, this injury argument where... Free agents, players that aren't even drafted or are drafted late, um, start to put up elite performance. Not elite performance, good performance. I don't want to say elite performance. Jamal Williams, for example, was a player that wasn't really going in drafts. I picked him up in a few places. Uh, I fancied that tandem to work. Um, you know, he finished as the RB13. Uh, Kenneth Walker was going late in drafts, uh, and he finished as the RB18. Jarrett McKinnon was a free agent pick up he finishes the rb20 um you know players like swift and elliot let you down this year uh raheem Mostert would have been pretty much a free agent or late round pick um he finished as the rb25 you know all these sorts of players that were free picks to tyler algier as the rb29 jeff wilson as the rb30 these players by the way finished with around about 160 points so not amazing but also not completely terrible but we go back to 2021. And you had someone like Cordell Patterson who came out of nowhere to finish as the RB9. Um, again, that wasn't expected. He was a free agent. If you moved quick on him, you would have done well. Um, but there wasn't really Daryl Williams of, of Kansas City after Clyde Abbas-Hilaire went down. Uh, he picked up well. He finished as the RB20. Melvin Gordon went late in drafts. He was the RB21. Um, you know, Miles Gaskin, RB25, Elijah Mitchell, RB26. These were sort of your waiver wire darlings. Now, what happens if you get a couple of those players and you start to average their best games and they start to shoot up the board? My point on this is that all this data, everything is telling us that the fantasy football landscape is overvaluing running backs. Myself, 
massively included. You know, I looked at my rankings and I think I had seven or eight. I think it was eight in the first round last year. That's a, that's too many. It's an overvaluation of the position because when we looked at what was going on in uh, 18, 19, 20, these players put up elite points, elite performance at the position, were huge separators at the position. There's two reasons for why that's not the case anymore. First of all, as I've mentioned, that elite performance has declined. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But second of all, is that the wide receivers coming into the NFL have become so much better. You're looking at the Justin Jeffersons, the Jamar Chases uh, of this world, weren't, and the A.J. Browns weren't in the NFL three years ago. These players are now in the NFL thriving, uh, expanding, becoming much better players and are becoming separators at the wide receiver position. And that's got to the point now where the wide receiver position is so strong from 1 to 12, 24 that actually you're almost better off picking at that value and getting an elite wide receiver to anchor your team, less likely for injuries, less likely to plan for injuries, more consistent point scoring. Then you are reaching for running back. And I've talked about for years, and some of you who have been listening to me years have talked about position scarcity at the running back position. I think we can conclude now there isn't a scarcity at the position. What we have now is a scarcity of elite players at the position. So definitely those first three to four to six players are well worth that consideration of a high pick. After that, you are definitely well worth just trying to navigate through your drafts and looking at that third, fourth round to anchor a guy and then maybe pick more and more in the middle to late rounds of drafts and stock your drafts maybe more with wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks and those separators at other positions because there aren't. We need to get out of the mindset that there are loads of separators at the RB position because the last two, three years are telling us that that is not the case. There are not that many separators at the position. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But also, it's incredibly difficult to predict who these separators are. Let's look at 2020's data. 2020 data was ridiculous. Because you had three players over 330 points. Alvin Kamara, 377. So that number of around 370-ish points is where the RB1 is going to finish. You can predict who that person's going to be, and you put your money on them, and they hit. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, if someone's asking me for 2023 who I think that is, it's Christian McCaffrey. Then you had Dalvin Cook, 377.8, uh, 337.8, and then Derek Henry, 333.1. The RB4... The only four in 2020 was David Montgomery on 264.8. So he finished nearly 70 points behind the RB3 on his own. So the RB4 finished nearly 70 points behind the RB3. 
So we're talking about elite performance. We're talking about elite separators at the position. In 2020, there were three. If you hit one of those guys, you were a winner. But the RB4 to the RB12, they were separated by 60, just under 58 points, which is significant. But if I move that up to the RB9, so the RB4 to RB9 was separated by 41 points. 41 points is about is less than three points per game. It's about 2, 2.4, 2.5 points a game. It's not a lot. It's not enough to reach for the position of Mr. Value. So this, this trend has been coming. It's been coming for the last three years that there aren't that many separators at the position. You just end up getting an elite tier, a good tier, and an, an everybody else tier. So when you are reaching for, when you're reaching up in tiers, and that is what we've all been guilty of, you lose value. So then you lose value, but also what you're more importantly doing is you're harming your higher end total point score. So you're harming your ability to score the most amount of points because instead of getting you a wide receiver who can score you 290 points, you're reaching for a running back who's going to score you 240, 230 points. And that is what's happening. So you're giving up 50 points on your team potentially. And that is what my teams, other teams, and if you haven't been winning in a lot of your teams in, over the last year, two years, this could be a reason why. I want you to look back at your championship teams and I want you to look at how you built them. And then I want you to look at your teams where you didn't win and I want to see how you built them. Because I guarantee you your approach was slightly different in the championship teams and the, cha and the championship knots. Yes, there's going to be factors of injuries. There's going to be factors of luck. You hit the waiver wire as well. You, you nailed players that you didn't get in other leagues and they would have made some differences, 100%. But also look at where you took running backs. Which running backs did you take? Why did it fail? And do that analysis because that's going to start to confirm some of these things I'm talking about. And now we're going to look at running back touches and carried data. Because my other hypothesis is that we're starting to see a change at the position. We're starting to see more running backs play, more running backs be relevant. But this is also capping this elite performance. So when we sit here and we look at I looked at touch data for the last six seasons with the amount of rush attempts and the amount of uh, catches. So the peak touch data didn't come in the last two years. It came in 2017, where running backs, the elite running backs, the top 12 running backs were averaging 21.5 touches a game. Uh, they were rushing the ball 18.4 times a game. That is also a high of any time over the last six years. Uh, what wasn't a high was the catches at 3.1. That's a pretty steady trend. When we start to see this decline of performance, and I wrote an article, and I'm going to reshare this article on the Patreon because I want you to read it. Um, was 2019 is where we start to see a decline in all of these metrics. So in 2019, the numbers were touches was 21.2. It's not a huge drop from 2020 or 2017. Rush attempts was 18, not a huge drop from 18.4. Catches was actually up at 3.2. 2020, that number drops to 21 touches, 17.9 rush attempts, 3.1 catches. Very small adjustments, but they're still declines. Those numbers again fall in 2021. They fall to 20.9 touches, slight rising uh, rush attempts to 18. Catches dropped to 2.9. And then last year, 19.8 touches, 
which is the lowest of the last six years, mixed in with 17.1 rush attempts, which wasn't the lowest of the last six years. That was in 2018, but not much higher than that. And then 2.7 catches, which again is low. What those numbers tell me is that actually there's different running backs that are catching the ball, third down backs, etc., that are catching the ball from these elite performers. So more running backs are getting involved. More running backs are taking away touches from the elite performers. So there aren't that many guys getting elite performance touches anymore. By the way, Derek Henry skews all these numbers up significantly. He probably adds two to three touches and rushes on his own. It was one season that he had eight carries a game more than anybody else, and that was in 2020. So Derek Henry skews these numbers so significantly in most of these years that actually, if I took him out, these numbers would fall even more significantly. And that's because elite running back performance isn't what it used to be. It, these players aren't touching the ball as much. They're not getting as many opportunities. And as a result, we're starting to see this trend of more running backs coming in, sharing the workload, doing the workload, having different players for different downs. And what this means is that now you're going to start to shift away from elite running back performance. There's always going to be a couple of very special players in the NFL. And we're starting to see one or two potentially in this draft class who could come in and potentially get this workload. But having said that, we're still not seeing this elite performance. And people are going to try and throw the injury argument. You talk about people like Brees Hall. And Brees Hall wasn't picked in the first two rounds of drafts. He wasn't picked in the first three rounds of drafts. We're talking about elite player performance here. And they were not really declined or hindered that much by injury with the, with the rare example, someone like Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry in 2021, Jonathan Taylor who missed five games in 2022, or Javonta Williams. They were really the only examples of a significant injury. So now we start to need to look at the... We start to need to look at the decline and where this decline is potentially coming from. So I wrote an article, and I suggest you go back and read it. Now, I'm only going to use the data from the first half of the season. I haven't crunched the second half of the data, second half of the season data. So we're just going to do this in the first half of the season. Okay? So when we look at the first half of the season... Um, this particular season was the lowest RB1 point uh, PPR points per game or PPR points total of the RB1 overall since 2012. The, the peak was in 2019. That was 181.3 PPR points at the halfway stage or week seven. This was um, 2022. That number was 138 points. Similar to... Um, Similar to that in 2019, which is kind of the peak running back period, and that's what people are glossing towards and chasing this 2018-2019 uh, peak season. Uh, 120.2 was the RB6. That's what they scored in um, those seasons through seven games. In 2022, 101.9. So the, the reason I picked seven games was halfway through the fantasy regular season. Then we look at the uh, RB12, so the RB12 position. Again, 100.6 in 2019, 85.6 in 2022. A couple of seasons were lower than that, but my point is this elite performance and the tiers and the gaps you're getting, there's not that many guys 
that are making a significant difference at the position. So when you're looking at these differences and you're starting to see these points difference, it it it's quite clear what's going on, that the elite separate themselves and they are reaching at the end of the season that same points total of around 370 points at least one player is you got a couple around the 330 to 350 mark but you're only consistently getting three or four players over 300 points and then everybody else is falling short of that and there isn't too much to suggest what's going on other than what i've explained that it's just those guys at the bottom end are getting less touches when I look at things like scrimmage yards, they have gone down since their peak. You know, we look at 2019, for example. Uh, those players were averaging 656 scrimmage yards. Now they're under 600. Yards per touch have gone down. 576, 533 in 2018, um, 2019, down to 5.15 this year. Um, you know, snap share was 74, 72% in those two peak years, 2018, 2019. Um, they actually declined much further in 2020 2021, uh, 63%, 65%, and then they increased to 68% uh, this year uh, through games one through seven. Mean touches uh, lower, but not significantly lower. But everything's pointing to, uh, you know, less touches, less snap share. Um, touchdown's pretty average. I mean, we dropped one TD this year on average. Um, but the scrimmage yards dropped significantly, about 60 yards. Uh, per player, that's quite significant, and the yards per touch have gone down. And really, as we're going through and we're trying to work out like what all of this means, it's really just a case of we're not seeing that many players get that much of a performance. So you have your separators, your three or four players at the top, and then everybody else is not inclined to a huge volume workload. Workload declines, less touches, potentially slightly more propensity to get injured, although we're seeing that's not really the case uh, too much. But we have had those studies that say that those players do likely miss potentially one or two games, and, and these kind of numbers do support that to a degree. Um, but then we're also seeing we're just not getting separators. Those guys will end up in a bundle. And yes, you can get guys off the waiver wire and you can bundle those guys together. So what we have here is a decline of elite performers. We have a few that separate at the top every year. Us fantasy analysts don't always get that right. We we pick players within a range and they tend to potentially hit. We're not falling well, well short. Josh Jacobs, I think, was the one that people missed this year. I was very high on Josh Jacobs and subsequently was rewarded with some several championship teams that had Josh Jacobs in it because he fell to such a place that he was a huge volume. But ultimately, we are overvaluing injury and we're undervaluing the landscape. And us as players who were playing 2018, 2019, have taken this stock of we must play with loads of running backs. We must draft running backs. We must draft running backs. There's only 32 starting running backs. We must get four or five on our team. Actually, that's still sort of the case. But what we can't do is reach. We are now going against value. So when we draw our tiers, we should pick apply, we should pick our tiers 
And if a player is outside the top six of the position on tier, we have to lower our expectation and drop them into the third round. You should not be taking a running back in round two. That's almost obvious now. It's almost obvious that you shouldn't be taking a running back in round two. If you're valuing the right, the, um, the, the landscape now, that your six separators, if you're going to call them that, if there are six or five or however many there are, are going to go in round one, you can't pick a running back in round two because the value is not there. It's not there. You're chasing value. So you're better off picking a different position, quarterback, running back, tight end, uh, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. Obviously, you've got to play the board. You've got to see how the board falls. There might be one of your separators that you are significantly higher on that the rest of the field isn't and therefore might fall into that range. But if we're, if players follow ADP and you, the ADP is following rankings and it, it just means that uh, running back in round two just looks like a mistake. And if that means you start wide receiver, wide receiver, you start wide receiver, wide receiver. You start wide receiver, quarterback, you start wide receiver, quarterback. Don't panic because the value for running back in round two is not there. It's not there. It hasn't been there. You look at these players that are finished um, in their positions, they're not being taken in round two. Um, they're being taken in round one or they're being taken later. You're not getting an elite separator being taken in round two. 2021, Taylor, Eckler, Harris were all round one players. They were all being taken in round one. They were all being taken within uh, the first eight picks. Sorry, I lie. Harris was being taken in the second round, so I do apologise. Harris is the exception to this to this rule. Um, but look at this year, 2022. Um, if we look at 2022, Eckler McCaffrey were not. They were taken in round one. And Josh Jacobs was was taken in round four. So we're not seeing the, the second round. Unless the market's got it wrong and the value's got it wrong, these separators are less likely to come from round two. So that's kind of where we are. So we're looking at the running back landscape. And we talked about this on, on Monday's show. I think Christian McCaffrey is a separator. Right? I think he's proven to be a separator time and time and time again. So I think... Absolutely, Christian McCaffrey is a separator at the position. He is someone who can anchor your team. He's somebody who's going to continue to um, separate. So I think absolutely. Austin Eckler has proven again and again that he is the same, especially in PPR formats. Standard formats, absolutely not. But in regular format, in PPR formats, he absolutely adds that value. So those two players for me stand out as separators. The rest, I think there is a bit of a controversy as to we need to see where people end up. Where's Josh Jacobs going to end up? If he if he stays where he is, absolutely, I think he's someone that could be worth uh, a pick. But you have to watch where he lands. You have to watch uh, what kind of deal he gets. These are all the indicators of, of things that could happen. Um, Derek Henry, what's happening at the quarterback position? What's happening at the coaching position? Um, what's happening for him? He's going into his age 30 year. There is a risk to taking Derek Henry in the first round, but... He's also a volume machine, but there's going to be a drop-off. Is it this year? Is it not? He is a gamble, but he's almost a calculated gamble. But these other players, you know, I talked about Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall is someone who I would like on teams this year, potentially for what they will bring. But having said that, is Brees Hall a separator? I, from the small sample we've seen, I think he can be. 
but uh, there's a risk he goes too high. So I think we've got to see how the landscape shapes out. But I think, you, you know, we're going to do some analysis. We're going to look at 2023 players. But my, my feeling is that five, six players in round one, and I think if you want to get one of those separators in round one, I think, yeah, you could do that. Jonathan Taylor is obviously in that conversation uh, as well. So I think you've got to look at this and think, okay, do I go and get my separator in, in round one? Or do I go and get myself a separating wide receiver? And then that means missing out on running back until at least round three, maybe even round four. And I think this is going to be the debate of team building, team construction building, roster construction that we're going to have. And I'm going to bring some smart guys on on the regular main pod this season to talk about this in more detail because I think it's it's incredibly important. This for me is a pivot year. We're going to start to see how strategies plan out. Now, you hear a lot about zero RB, hero RB. I don't really subscribe to any of that school of thought. Um, I see the logic and and there's zero RBers and the hero RBers are celebrating because they their strategy appears to be the best strategy. I think you have to look at value. I think you just have to sit there and look at the board and I think we need to stop overvaluing running backs. I think we have to stop sitting there saying that taking the 13th running back off the board in the second round is good value. It obviously isn't. It's proving year after year that that is not good value. So why are we chasing? We're chasing because of position scarcity. We need to forget about that because there isn't position scarcity at that range. There isn't. It doesn't exist because you haven't got that many separators. So what you have is a, is a small list of four to six potential separators. And then what you've got is a, a middle tier of good performance and then everyone else is mediocre. So we don't need to be thinking about um, chasing the RB13 in the second round. And let people do it. Let people take those players. If they hit, congratulations. But the strategy isn't right. It's not supported by any of the evidence that is here, that, that is being presented. So, to recap, when we're drafting running backs, we bake in one to three games as injury is standard. Having an in, having a running back carry the ball 300 times does not mean they're more likely to get injured. That's absolute cobblers, and there's data and science to prove that. Where the decline is, is the decline of elite performance. And those elite performance days of 2018, 2019 are gone. You've got three to six separators, potentially, who separate the position, and then everybody else kind of falls into a pack. If you land one of those three to six separators and they hit, then you're well on your way to winning a championship. If you don't, you have to find a better way to build your team. So teams and roster builds have been dependent on drafting running backs that put up average performance, mediocre performance, because they're reaching because of position scarcity. And that position scarcity doesn't exist because there aren't that many separators. So the, the, the scarcity is, is one to six. After that, they're a bit of a match of a match. Yes, you can tier them. Yes, there are players that will score more points, but not at the detriment of having to draft them two rounds over their value, which is what is going on. And so this decline of running backs is coming from a decline in touches, a decline in carries, decline in catches, um, a decline in scrimmage yards, decline in touchdowns. These numbers have all trended this way over the last uh, three years and they're still trending that way because there are more running backs that are coming into the league that are defining roles, whether they're a third down back, whether they are taking touches, whether we've got committee backs. There are more and more backs that are diluting the pool 
So those separators of the elite, they're the ones that are going to score elite amount of points. It's not all determined on talent or draft capital. It's all determined on opportunity. So look at the teams that give away that opportunity and existing performance. Look at the players who have reached and become a separator and look at age. Don't look too favourably on players age 27 or over. We've seen Alvin Kamara's decline since his age 27 year. Mixon, since his 27 year. Derek Heavy is the exception. He's the exception to that, but at some point the wheels are going to come off and it won't be that long. He is a calculated risk this year, but how much longer is that going to last for? I think that's going to cover it. I'm going to share all of the research, all of the data in um, the Patreon. So you're going to get a bit flooded. Any questions on this, fire them across, put them in the chat. Um, let me know. But this is a really pivotal year for the running back position. It's a really difficult year to get right. Together, as a unit, we're going to get this right. It's going to take a lot of research. It's going to take a lot of work. I'm going to do a lot of that for you. But we're going to have to think about how we build our teams. And that means we take less running backs early and we flood them later on in the draft. We're more likely to hit. And we're going to get it wrong and we're going to get it right. It's a bit of both. Some of our teams are going to look absolutely dreadful this year. Some of our teams are going to look like absolute gods. But we're going to win chips. This is the strategy moving forward. This is the one I believe will give the most likely chance of success. This is the one that we need to start looking at because all the number and all the data is telling me is there aren't that many separators and they're not separating that often enough for it to be worth chasing running backs in round two. Thank you so much for watching, for listening, for subscribing, for donating your hard-earned money to us. I hope that podcasts like this make it worthwhile because this is a topic that people aren't overly talking about, aren't overly thinking about from a strategy perspective. And I wanted to bring that to you. And we're going to do wide receivers and we're going to do tight ends and we're going to do other things. And I'm going to do, we're going to talk about how to do projections. There's loads more coming. But ultimately, this this podcast is going to take some time to digest. It's worth listening to two or three times. Read the data. Make your, and if your conclusions are different from mine, please share them. Because I want to see. I want to see your thoughts, your conclusions, because that makes me better, but that makes everyone in the group better. So post it. Say, I, I don't agree with this, or I agree with that, because I want to see how that works. But yeah, appreciate all of you. Love you all so much. And uh, yeah, we'll speak in the chat soon. And I hope you enjoyed it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.